The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. starting a new series called Dying Words today. Dying Words. And this series, we're going to be looking at the statements that Jesus made as he was hanging on the cross, his dying words. And it's going to lead us right up to Easter. And in this series, we're going to be studying the words that Jesus spoke on the cross so that we can uh, understand who he was more, like we could grow in our knowledge of him, so we can really acknowledge and understand what he accomplished for us on the cross, and so we can fall more in love with him. I think sometimes around this time of year when we're getting ready for Easter, the cross and the crucifixion and resurrection, if you've grown up in church, you can kind of just get used to it and you lose the awe and the wonder. And, 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 and I believe that as we start this series, that whether you're young or old, whether you've been following the Lord for a long time or you're a new believer, that God wants to give you a new revelation and appreciation and understanding about the cross, about who Jesus is and what he accomplished. So be sure to be here every week. Um, I really believe that God's wanting to speak to us as we study these, as we place ourselves at the foot of the cross. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke 23, Luke 23. I'm going to be staying real close to this pulpit today. <laughs> Stay real close to my notes. I'm gonna be channeling some Jackie Hill Perry, right? I'm just gonna just get comfortable right here, okay? Um, so bear with me. Um, if you've got your Being Transformed journal, I uh, wanna encourage you to get that out, get ready to take some notes. Um, I find it interesting every time I share the Being Transformed journal, online on, on my story or something on Instagram, somebody from another state or another church always messages me and says, that's so neat, where did you get that? Where can I purchase that? And I'm like, oh, it's not, it's not for sale. It's a tool that our, our church um, produced. And if you come visit OKC or you're in the area, stop by our lobby and they're free in the lobby, but you can't buy it anywhere. And so if you don't have a Being Transformed journal, know that there's people in like Colorado who really want this. Um, <laughs> It's out in the lobby. You can pick them up. They're free. It's a, it's a resource that we provided, a tool that we provided for the New Song Church family to help you grow, to help you practice the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of daily abiding in God's word and transformational community. So they're free. You can pick them up at um, the information desk or at a bistro table as you leave today. All right, dying words. Somebody say dying words. Dying words, last words, final words. I think we all understand like there's a certain weight uh, to dying words, especially if somebody knows that this is the last words they're gonna say. There's a weight that comes with those words. And Pastor Josh, he um, looked up this week some uh, famous last words by famous people. Some are profound, some are weird, some are funny. So I'm gonna share some of these last words with you this morning. Or yeah, this morning. Uh, Bob Marley's final words to his son Ziggy were, money can't buy life. Pretty profound, right? Pancho Villa's last words were, don't let it in like this. Tell them I said something. <laughs> he was kind of at a loss for words, right? 
And I feel bad for Pancho because whoever he was with, like totally just admitted, like he didn't know what to say. He said, tell him I said something. So he wasn't, whoever it was, wasn't a good friend. Um, Elvis Presley's last words were, I'm going to the bathroom to read. I wonder what book it was, or if it was a magazine or something. He didn't know that he was about to die. Uh, Nostradamus's last words were, tomorrow I shall no longer be here. Very insightful. And Steve Jobs' last words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. His sister said it was like he was trying to board a train or something, and, and it was leaving without him. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Sometimes last words, dying words, can be inspirational. We all remember, if you're old enough, uh, Todd Beamer's uh, last words, passenger on United Flight 93 on 9-11, when he's about to, uh, with other passengers, take over the cockpit and take over that plane. And he said, okay, let's roll. Okay, let's roll. Inspirational. Our entire nation knew those words, heard those words, related to those words. It was uh, a summary of the American spirit in the midst of this awful tragedy. Now, if it's me, and I'm sure if it's you, if you know that the words that you're about to utter are your last words that you're going to utter on planet Earth, you're going to want them to be significant. You're going to want them to be impactful. You're, you, you're going to want these words to resonate that to inspire, to be glorifying, to glorify God. And Jesus had this opportunity, and his dying words are the most resonating, the most inspiring, and the most God-glorifying words that any dying woman or dying man has ever uttered. And they're recorded in Scripture for us. Uh, we called this series Dying Words, not the last words of Jesus, not famous last words. Uh, we called it Dying Words because how many know Jesus came back? He, res he was resurrected. He rose from the dead and he said more words. And he is still speaking today through the Holy Spirit. So this is not his last words. It was his dying words. Now, every time that Jesus spoke, it was perfect. It was profound, it was purposeful, and the same is true when he's hanging from the cross. He's not having this moment where he's like in so much agony and pain that he's like delusioned and he doesn't know what he's saying. He knows exactly what he's saying. The words are purposeful and profound and powerful. And I want to be sure that as we work through this series and these statements that is not lost on us the amount of pain that Jesus was going through as he uttered these words. It's amazing to me, if you study the crucifixion, that he's even able to speak. I don't know about you, but if you've ever experienced like intense pain, like for instance, um, maybe labor, ladies, you're in labor, dealing with some contractions. Uh, for me, worse than contractions was um, dry socket after I got my wisdom teeth out. That was the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. If you've ever been in a, in a place where you're experiencing pain, then you know, like, you don't have a lot to say in that moment. When I was in the hospital waiting for the epidural angels to come in <laughs> and make everything, all the pain go away, and those contractions were getting intense, I remember Josh being like, are you okay? You could see, like, his chest uh, like beating through his shirt. I remember you could see like his heart and I'm in so much pain and I'm waiting and he's like, are you okay? And I have nothing to say. I'm just like, Shh, just breathing out loud and I have no words. 
And the same is true this week when he called me with his back after the doctor. And I'm like, what did they say? He's like, I can't talk right now. I will call you when I'm in a position where I can lay down and not have to deal with this pain. It's hard to talk. It takes a lot of energy to talk when we're in intense pain. And Jesus was in the most pain imaginable, the worst pain imaginable. He was nailed to a cross. His arms were stretched wide, nails driven through his flesh, knees bent up under him, his back torn open, shredded, nerves exposed, skin exposed, the, the hanging against a tree. He can hardly breathe. It hurts like hell just to breathe. He's basically suffocating. And even though Jesus has already said more in three years than anyone has or ever will say in a hundred years, he still chose to speak. He, cho he still chose to go through more pain than necessary because even to talk was going to cause him more pain, to push himself up, to catch a breath, to speak. He had to get these statements out. He fought through the pain to utter these seven statements. So the words were important to Jesus, so important he was willing to experience extra pain. So make no mistake, this is going to be a powerful series. These words of Jesus are very intentional, and we're going to take a close look at them. So today, our, our first statement from the cross is found in Luke 23, verse 32. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get there, or you can follow along with me on the screen. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, and the other on his left, Jesus said, here's the first statement, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Commentator tells us that the tense of this phrase is a continual tense. Like this isn't something that Jesus just said once, but he said it over and over and over as he was hanging from the cross. As he was being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As the soldiers were mocking him, spitting in his face, pressing a crown of thorns into his head, pulling out his beard, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. As the soldiers were gambling over his clothes like he wasn't there, like he was already dead, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. These men are putting him to death, and he is praying for the very people that are putting him to death. He's asking for God's mercy and his forgiveness to be poured out on them. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus, in this moment, models radical enemy forgiveness. Radical enemy forgiveness. He is practicing what he preached. In Luke 6, 27, he says, this is Jesus. He says, but to you who are listening, if you're listening, say, I'm listening. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those 
who mistreat you. This is exactly what he's doing, praying for those who are mistreating him. Father, forgive them. We know that because Jesus says Father here, that he is still in perfect communion with God, with his heavenly Father. He was in perfect communion because at this point, the sin of all mankind had not been placed on Jesus yet. So he still has a perfect connection with the Father. Father, forgive them. It's remarkable to me that in these last moments where he knows he has this, conver- this communication with God that's about to end, that he is not thinking of himself. He's not saying, Father, make him stop. Father, this is unnecessary. Father, punish them. No, he's others-minded. He's not just others-minded. He is mindful of his enemies and their eternity. Father, forgive them. Now, the fact that the first words that Jesus speaks as he's hanging from the cross are about forgiveness, this totally lines up with his nature, with his character, and with his teaching leading up to this moment on the cross. Forgiveness was central. Forgiveness was at the forefront of his mind. You'll remember on Friday, if you're following along in the Being Transformed journal, we read uh, in in Mark, yeah, we read in Mark that um, there was a man who was paralyzed and his friends wanted to get him to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could heal. They had faith that Jesus could heal their paralyzed friend. But these men are going to the house where Jesus is ministering and the house is packed. It is so full, they cannot get to Jesus. They cannot get an audience with Jesus. So desperate times call for desperate measures. They climb up on the roof and, and tear the roof up. They destroy the roof and they lower this paralyzed man on a mat down in front of Jesus. They want Jesus to heal their friend. And Jesus does heal their friend, but that's not what he does first. First, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm sure the guys on the roof are looking down and watching this, and they're like, uh, Jesus, I think you meant something like rise up and walk, or like what? We're expecting like a healing, like we want his legs to work again. And Jesus knows what these men do not. He knows what the, the real need of this man was. He knew what the greatest need of this man was. He knew that he needed forgiveness, so he, gre- he addressed this need first. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessings and most lasting results. Father, forgive them. It's at the forefront of Jesus's mind as he was on the cross. It was at the forefront of his mind while he was ministering and teaching and preaching. And forgiveness should be at the forefront of our mind, the mind of believers. I think a lot of times Christians, we think that um, maybe we're missing out on miracles. Like we've heard other Christians experience like these miraculous things like somebody they prayed for grew a limb back or was healed of cancer or their eyes were crossed and then they weren't uncrossed like Trudy. And we think, man, 
I wish I could experience a miracle like that. I want to see a great miracle like that happen in my life. Listen, if you are a born again believer, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, you have experienced the greatest miracle that you can experience. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle. Don't say you've never experienced a miracle. You have. You have experienced the greatest miracle. Don't discount forgiveness. We cannot get used to forgiveness. We cannot get over the fact that we were enemies of God. And there was no way, there was nothing, nothing we could say, nothing we could do. There was no way that we could go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God if it was not for the blood of Jesus that washed away our sin. This is the greatest miracle. One of my favorite hymns is How Deep the Father's Love for Us because it reminds us of the, the miracle of forgiveness. And it brings the cross to, into our view. I think sometimes we think about the cross when we are um, just being saved and we think about the cross a lot at Easter, but we need to continually be mindful of the cross and the miracle that took place there. So this song, I love it. It brings our sin into view and it brings forgiveness to the front of our minds. The lyrics say, behold the man upon the cross. Like gaze intently at the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Mine, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Sometimes, church, we read about these awful Roman wretched soldiers who did these terrible, unthinkable things to Jesus and the religious leaders and, and the disciples who scattered and left him and abandoned him. And we disassociate ourselves with this scene. We dis disassociate ourselves from the cross, but we need to hear our mocking voice among the scoffers. And we need to know that it wasn't just the, the Roman soldiers and the nails that held him there. And it wasn't just his love that held him there. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Until what was accomplished? The forgiveness of our sins, the greatest miracle, hands down. It's the greatest miracle anyone on earth can ever experience. He knows our greatest need and he addresses our greatest need. James Wilhoyt says, we live as if the God-human gap is actually much smaller than it really is. Somehow we just forget how vast the gap was. We live as this, this, this gap between us and God is small. It wasn't a small gap. It isn't a small gap. There's no way we can have relationship with Jesus. The, the gap is vast. There's no way to cross it. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's, it, we can't even measure how far the gap was between us and God, our Father. It's not some small thing that happened at the cross. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle. And we start to really think about and we start to have a realization of how big that gap actually was then it makes us understand and appreciate the miracle of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, not just the wretched men at the cross, but us. Forgive me, forgive us, make a wretch your treasure.
He made you his treasure. It's an amazing miracle. Okay, pop quiz. What's the greatest miracle you have ever received? Good job. I didn't even have to give you a hint. I told the other services it starts with an F and it's one word. Forgiveness. It's the greatest miracle you've ever received. Not your kids, not your marriage, not healing in your body. The greatest miracle you have ever experienced is forgiveness. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, because we've been radically forgiven, we're called to do the same, to practice the way of Jesus. My favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures is, it's our destiny to be transformed into the image of Jesus, to look like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to radically forgive like Jesus. But sometimes this is hard. Sometimes it seems impossible. Sometimes it seems like one of those things like, God said it, but we all know it's not possible, but that's not how God works. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus said, pray like this, our kingdom, or Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, right? Why would he say pray like this? Why would forgiveness of enemies and love your enemies and and do good to your enemies, why would he tell us to do these things if it were not possible for us to do them? He wouldn't. He's not a jerk, he is good, right? And so because we know that he's commanded us to do this, we know that he will give us grace. He will empower us so that we can carry out these commands. So I've got four points for you this afternoon, and I hope that these points will stir your heart. That's what they're designed to do. It's not like do these four things and boom, you're just gonna be able to forgive. No, that's not what these four points are about. These points are designed to stir your heart to run to the throne of God so that you can receive the grace that you need to be a radical forgiver, to be a radical forgiver, okay? Number one, you can't give what you haven't received. You can't give what you haven't received. Every person in this room has sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm gonna spare you the joke, the thing that the pastors do where they say, raise your hand if you've sinned, and there's a couple people who don't raise their hand and they say, they're lying, see, everybody sins, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna skip all that. Pastors, you can retire that joke, okay? You can retire that one, we got it. Everybody has sinned, everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. I remember when I was 10 years old and I was about to get water baptized at Eastland Assembly of God in Tulsa. And I had like, used to wear like a robe back then and it was up in the, on the stage and, and I got cold feet. Like I was super excited to do it. And then I was like, I, I can't do this. I kind of backed out. And then when my kids pastor and my parents were like, why don't you want to go through this? I explained to them it's because somehow I had um, this wrong understanding that once you get baptized, you can never sin again. And I was just like, I didn't have a desire to sin, but I was like, I'm a pretty good kid. I just don't think I can go the rest of my life without ever doing anything that's not pleasing to God. So I, I don't think I can make this commitment. They explained to me that that's, that's not what was happening. Uh, we know that we get saved. We get a brand new born again spirit, but our mind is being renewed. We are in the process of being transformed. There's a journey, there's a working out of our salvation. And even after we get saved, we're going to sin. And even after we get water baptized, 
we're going to sin. And even after we get filled with the Spirit, we're going to sin. So sin is going to happen. But here's what happens. I think sometimes either before we get saved and we have something really bad that we did in our past, like we've categorized as like a really bad season, a really bad thing that we did in our past, or after we get saved, we do something and we feel really bad about it. We categorize it as like the really bad thing that we did and we think about it all the time and we, we're experiencing condemnation for that thing. Uh, and sometimes it's worse after we become believers because we're like, we knew better. I knew better and I did this. And we let it kind of hang over us and, and fill us with guilt and fill us with shame and fill us with condemnation. Like it wasn't just any sin, it was really, really hurtful. Like I really hurt somebody. Um, and and I, I just don't think that, that God can forgive me of that. I'm not willing to pursue forgiveness. I'm not willing to receive that forgiveness because I really messed up. Like I still wanna follow God, um, but I understand that like he is holy. And so I probably need to keep like my distance, like social distance. I probably need to stay about six feet away from the Lord probably should mask up when I pray. Like, I just, I just want to separate myself from him. Or we don't pray at all because we feel like we don't deserve God to answer our prayers because of this thing that we did. Or we don't worship because we know that God sees everything and we think that he's going to think we're a hypocrite. Or we don't have joy. We like won't allow ourselves to experience joy or peace or to hear the voice of God because we just don't think that we deserve it because of that sin, that thing in our past, or that, that thing that we've categorized as like the unforgivable sin. We sing Jesus paid it all. And we say it and we sing it, but we think he paid it all for everyone else but me. He paid it all, not all, like almost all, but that one thing, that's the unforgivable sin. Now, I'm going to say something. And at first, it's going to seem like it's feeding this lie of the enemy and that it's, it's harsh and it's not encouraging. But bear with me because this is so good, okay? Jesus says, he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never receive forgiveness. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it. This is what I did. This is that thing I can't seem to get over. I must have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and I'm never going to receive forgiveness for that thing. And we think that this is because that that sin is somehow stronger than the blood of Jesus. And that's why it can never be forgiven. That there's something, some evil that we could do that's stronger than the blood of Jesus, but that is not the case. The sin that can never be forgiven can't be forgiven because it is an attitude of the heart that cares nothing for forgiveness. It can't be forgiven because it doesn't desire forgiveness. It has no intention. It has no uh, desire. It will never be forgiven because it doesn't want forgiveness from God. The only way God will not forgive you, hear me, the only way God will not forgive you is if you do not desire forgiveness. But if you desire forgiveness, there is nothing. There is no thing. There is nothing. Murder, abortion, killing somebody, uh, 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 having other gods before God, idols, 
uh, stealing, cheating on someone, no thing, nothing, no sin is stronger than the blood of Jesus. If you desire forgiveness, if you desire forgiveness, it is available to you. So we gotta stop believing that lie. Receive forgiveness. You'll never be able to radically forgive others if you don't receive radical forgiveness. Maybe there's something like somebody hurt you and you just, you can't forgive this person. You've tried and you've tried and you can't radically forgive this person. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit if it's because there's something in your past that you haven't received radical forgiveness for. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the thing where it's like, ah, oh, I, I just can't seem to forgive this person. Well, maybe it's because you just can't seem to receive forgiveness. The blood of Jesus washed away all sin once and for all. Receive that forgiveness. Number two, we can forgive what's not perceived. You can't give what you haven't received. Number two, you can forgive what is not perceived. Okay, let's look at the dying words again. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They do not know what they are doing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus recognized the blindness of his enemies. He recognized the blindness of his enemies. You know, it's just a fact of life that sometimes we aren't aware of what we're doing. We have blind spots. We aren't aware that the things that we say or the things that we do, that it's hurting someone. Sometimes we are just blind to it. Oftentimes, it's the things that we are not saying. It's the things that we are not doing. It's the, the way that we're not showing up. It's the sins of omission that are hurting people, and we have no idea. This happens. Sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. Now, when we look at this, we, we, we have to think, these men knew what they were doing. Like, how could they not know? This was so evil. It was so obvious. They did know that they were doing something evil, but they didn't know the magnitude of what they were doing. Sometimes people hurt us, and they don't understand why that certain thing that they said hurt so much. They don't understand the magnitude of it. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus forgave what was not perceived, and so should we. And so should we. I've heard stories before, more than one, about people who leave the church, not this church, I don't think, maybe. It's been a while, <laughs> seven years, could be. Uh, but somebody leaving the church over like a pastor or somebody on staff who didn't acknowledge them in the lobby. Like they walked right past me and the, the person that, that supposedly didn't acknowledge this person has no idea. They had no idea what they were doing. They were just in the zone. They were focused. They had something else on their mind. They were taking care of an issue. They didn't know, but this person, the grudge just continues to grow and grow and their anger and they're bitter and they can't forgive what was not perceived. And so they can't receive from the pastor anymore. And then they, they leave the church. We see this in marriage a lot, um, where a, a spouse is totally distant and giving the silent treatment, 
I was a pro at the silent treatment when Josh and I first got married. I was 18 um, and didn't know how to deal with relationship conflict. And uh, I could go days, weeks sometimes without saying a word. I was immature. I didn't understand. Jesus, thank God for his mercy and his grace and his revelation showed me that that is not helpful. But I would do this, and what I'm doing in that moment is waiting for it to dawn on this person what they have done and waiting for them to ask me to forgive them. And I'm waiting for them to perceive what they've done wrong instead of approaching them with grace. If you're taking notes and you're married or you want to be married someday, write this down. I'm going to give you a little nugget. Always move toward your spouse in grace in lieu of moving away from them in anger. You're either moving toward your spouse or away from your spouse. You're moving toward them in grace or away from them in anger. When they upset you, when they offend you, and they do not know what they're doing, even though you think they might understand what you're doing, they may not understand the magnitude of it, move toward them in grace. Hey, you probably don't know what you did, like really hurt me. so I'm just letting you know, and here's why it hurt, I think, and I just, wanted, I just wanted to make you aware, move toward them in grace instead of moving away from them in anger. Uh, maybe you're dealing with uh, walking in unforgiveness toward somebody right now, and you're, you're waiting for that person to perceive what they have done. Maybe it's just this week. Maybe it's, you know, last couple months, last couple years. Maybe it's decades that you have been holding on to this unforgiveness, waiting, waiting for the person to understand what they did and how they hurt you, waiting for them to say, will you forgive me before you choose to forgive? This is not what Jesus modeled. Maybe it's a mother-in-law. I just had a sense this week it was a mother-in-law, somebody in here, Um, and they have no idea. They have no idea you're mad because you pretend like you're not. Um, and, you're, and she has no idea that she did anything wrong. And you're just kind of waiting for her to figure it out. And, and, or maybe you're giving her the silent treatment and you're just hoping to teach her a lesson. Well, I've got to teach her a lesson because of what she did. Nope, it's not what Jesus said. He didn't say it's our job to teach people lessons. He says it's our job to forgive radically, seven times 77. And even if they do do it over and over and over again, this is what Jesus taught and modeled. Those who were putting him to death did not know what they were doing. Notice they didn't ask him, will you forgive us? They didn't know what they were doing until after he had died. Then they realized, oh, the whole darkness like falling on the face of the earth and the veil being torn from the top to the bottom, like maybe they begin to understand the magnitude, but they hadn't at this point. But he didn't wait for them to say, hey, will you forgive me? He chose to forgive them, to plead for their forgiveness. We can forgive what's not perceived. Number three, An unforgiving heart is not relieved. An unforgiving heart is not relieved. Now, I'm guessing as we bring up this topic of forgiveness, that there's somebody in mind that you're struggling to forgive. You're thinking about somebody who's hurt you in the past. Maybe they lied to you. Maybe they cheated on you. Maybe they abandoned you. Maybe you don't even know them. Like maybe they got your mom pregnant and never had anything to do with you. You don't even know this person, but you're dealing with unforgiveness. 
It's caused you to have sleepless nights, anxiety in your home. It's one of these things that you feel like this person is sabotaging you, and sabotaging your relationships. Like they're always there. This offense, this hurt, this thing is always there in the back of your mind. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's a group, an organization. Maybe it's like culturally, like things that have happened in our country, in this history that happened to your ancestors and you have had such a hard time letting that go. And you know, as a follower of Jesus, that you're called to forgive them. You know you're called to forgive them, but you don't want to. You don't want to forgive because you think somehow that this anger that you have towards them, this unforgiveness that you're holding onto, that it's somehow helping you deal with this pain. This is how I cope. This is how I deal. I have to stay mad. I have to stay angry. But unforgiveness is not relieving any of your hurt. It's actually compounding it. It's, it's giving the wrong that was done against you permission to dominate and sabotage your life. So let's go back to the foot of the cross. Jesus perceives these men, the Romans, the religious leaders, the disciples that were scattered. He perceives, even though they do not perceive, he perceives the wrong that they are doing. Jesus is literally painfully aware of the wrong that is being done to him, that has been done wrong to him. He can relate to those of us who have had somebody sin against us. He is neglected, abused, he's violated, he's bruised, he's broken. He can relate to us like nobody else can. And here in this moment, he shows us something. He understands that as he's about to take his last breaths, that it's better to forgive than to go to the grave that he will conquer three days later with bitterness. He's not praying, God, make these men pay. He is praying, God, forgive them. Forgiveness is at the forefront of his mind. He knows it's not anger and resentment that will make him feel better. It's forgiving. It's the love, the love of an enemy. Jesus shows us that an unforgiving heart is not relieved. Sometimes we think we need a heart that is unrelieved. Um, we need that tension in our heart because we feel like somehow that tension, that, that thing like, okay, I can never, I better never get over this because if I get over this, it's gonna happen to me again. I better never get over this because I don't want this to happen to my kids. I need this tension in my heart because I don't wanna feel like I let this person off of the hook. So sometimes relief isn't even appealing to us. We wanna stay on edge. We wanna stay under this burden of unforgiveness because somehow we've been deceived into thinking that this burden from unforgiveness that we're holding up is making us stronger, that it's making us more durable, that it's making us gritty and it's making us tough. And we feel that if we pray, Father, forgive them, that we're gonna put that weight down, we're gonna, go, we're gonna grow weak, we're gonna grow soft, that we are somehow, when we ask God to forgive people who have hurt us, that we're somehow asking God to condone what they did, and that's not what we're doing. We're not saying, never mind. We're not saying, like, just look over this. We're not saying, forget it. We're not saying, God, condone this person who left me. Condone the Holocaust. Condone uh, Jim Crow laws. Condone when somebody bombs a country. Like, we're not saying, God, just forget it. Like, God, never mind. We're saying, God, help me. God, I'm forgiving this person. I'm placing them in your hands. As I forgive the bitterness, the anger, the hatred, the desire to seek vengeance, 
will be removed from my life so that I can pursue justice, justice effectively, so that I can seek first the kingdom of God effectively. You need to hear this this morning. We're called to advance the kingdom of God, right? That's why we're here. That is why we're here, to advance the kingdom of God. But you need to know that if you're harboring unforgiveness, you can't do that. You're gonna render yourself ineffective, ineffective, because when we pray, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, God can't hear us. How do we partner with God? How do we co-labor in God? What's the greatest work? Prayer. And we have unforgiveness in our heart. He cannot hear our prayers. You could be praying for Josh this morning. You could be praying for Ukraine. You could join us Wednesdays, midweek prayer. But if you're harboring unforgiveness, God can't hear your prayers. You've got to forgive. This is why he said, pray like this. Father, forgive them. Forgive those who've sinned against me. Some of us are... Uh, like the big sister from Encanto, Luisa. You guys know Luisa? I know we don't talk about Bruno, but we can talk about Luisa, right? <laughs> she's thinking that she's gotta be the strong one. In her song, she says, I'm the strong one, and she's carrying around everybody's burdens all of the time. And I think there's people in the room that you carry everybody's burdens, and you carry their unforgiveness. You ever heard loyal to a fault? That's loyal to a fault. Maybe your dad ran out on your mom and your mom hasn't forgiven your dad yet and you feel like, I gotta be loyal to my mom. I gotta carry this unforgiveness with her. If I don't, if I, if I forgive my dad, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not loyal to my mom. She's got this hatred toward him so I've gotta carry this hatred towards him. Listen. Let God deal with your mom, but I'm telling you, you gotta guard your own heart. Guard your heart above all else. You don't have to guard your mom's heart. Guard your heart above all else. Release, forgive it. Don't try to be the strong one in your family. Don't carry the burden of unforgiveness of your family members. Corey Ten Boom, who is a Nazi uh, Holocaust survivor, she survived concentration camps. Um, her story is so inspirational. One of the most inspirational stories on forgiveness. She says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. It was you. Jesus isn't looking to condone the sins of others. He's looking to help you, to free you, to help you pursue justice effectively, to pursue the kingdom effectively, to place this burden on him because he cares for you. You can't give what you don't receive. You can forgive what's not perceived. An unforgiving heart is not relieved. And number four, apart from God, it's unachieved. We could close every message with this point. Apart from God, it's not achieved. John 15, five says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Forgiveness, this radical love your enemies, forgiveness isn't possible without the grace of God. Second Corinthians 12, nine, Paul writes, this is how the Lord responded to him when he was going through a tough season. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you don't get anything else today, get this, okay? Write this down. 
If you think it's impossible to forgive someone, you're limiting the grace of God. If you think it's impossible, oh, you don't know how hard they hurt me, how bad they hurt me. You don't understand. I can't do it. If you think it's impossible to forgive, you're limiting the grace of God. You're saying, God, your grace isn't enough. Your grace isn't adequate. Your strength isn't enough. It's not sufficient. But we all know that it is because it's that same grace, by that same grace that we were saved. That's the grace of God. It is amazing. And His amazing grace is sufficient for you to forgive whoever you need to forgive. You won't be able to do it in your own strength. You're weak. I'm weak. We can't do it in our own strength. But hear me, as a Christian, you should never utter these words. I just don't have it in me to forgive. Because you have Christ in you. And Christ can forgive. Sarah can't forgive. But thank God it's no longer Sarah who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And Christ in me can forgive. You can forgive. If you would stand to your feet. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.